to another edition of Sanctified Reason. Sanctified Reason is a podcast where we take a look at the things of this world through a biblical perspective. I am Son Edom along with Dan Delzell. Dan is a pastor at Redeemer Church in Papillion, Nebraska. He is also an author. He writes many articles, and a lot of them you can find on the ChristianPost.com. And Dan, you know, we're going into the Holy Week as the church recognizes, starting with Palm Sunday and then concluding with Easter Sunday. And so I thought for this week what we would do is maybe start the conversation with Palm Sunday. I think a lot of times the significance of Palm Sunday kind of gets overlooked or maybe overshadowed by the the Easter weekend. You know, the the you've got on Good Friday and then you've got Easter Sunday, and that tends to take a lot of the attention. But there is a lot of significance when it comes to Palm Sunday. You know, just thinking when Jesus entered Jerusalem, you know, all the people that were there and celebrating his arrival and and then a week later, you know, they're shouting, crucify him. You know, what changed during the course of that week? And and so it's just interesting to take a look at Palm Sunday as we set off Holy Week and just kind of kind of set the table for the week to come and, and look at the significance of, of Jesus as he was met by the people. And, of course, the significance of Palm Sunday. I'll let you maybe give us a, a brief synopsis of, of the Palm Sunday itself and why it is such a, a relevant thing this, uh, that we celebrate. But uh, when it comes to Palm Sunday, it's something that we need to take a look at and something that we need to celebrate and enjoy because it sets the table for the week to come. And that really, that one week, like I said, culminating with Easter is really so important and so significant. And Easter Sunday, I think it's, I heard one time that even non-believers, if they go to church one Sunday a year, it's going to be Easter Sunday. So everyone recognizes the importance of it. But uh, but it kicks off with Palm Sunday, and that's a, a celebration of Jesus entering into Jerusalem. Yeah, I think that's very well said, Son. And of course, this was something that had been prophesied 500 years before Christ entered Jerusalem that day on a donkey. Uh, back in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, uh, we read, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And, and then, you know, 500 years later, uh, as Matthew records it in chapter 21, uh, we're told uh, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. He had, you know, told them where to go and, and, and bring the, you know, the donkey and the colt. And so they brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. Uh, a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? Uh, The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And and so what a a striking event here, Son, as you say, kind of setting the table then for for Holy Week and, um, you know, uh, Maundy Thursday and Good Friday and then Easter Sunday. And, you know, historically, uh, you know, entering a city on a donkey uh, signified that you were entering, you know, there in peace. You know, whereas like a conquering king would arrive on a horse. And, and so this donkey son, you know, being a very gentle and, and patient uh, animal, doesn't seem to, you know, get angry, even when, you know, even when it has a heavy load to carry. Here is the Messiah, the Savior, riding in on this donkey to fulfill the prophecy 500 years earlier, which is just one of God's stamps of affirmation saying, you know, this is my son, this is the Messiah. Um, you know, I, I, I told you about it 500 years ago. Um, now it's happening. 
and, and yet to be coming in on a donkey, not on a horse, you know, it, it makes me think, Son, that like, you know, would you ever see, say, a prime minister or a president uh, ride into, let's say, London or New York City uh, in a rusty 1976 Ford Pinto, let's say? You say, well, no, of course not. Well, then why in the world would would um, the Messiah enter Jerusalem on, on a donkey? Uh, I mean, at least a horse, you know, at least something that would signify, um, you know, that he's conquering uh, sin and death and the devil, which which he was. But but God chose to have this animal, um, the the donkey, and and really, you know, it, it very much I think is is in line with Matthew twenty verse twenty five, son, where Jesus said, "You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve." And to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus was not the kind of king that um, the Jews were expecting. Uh, but he was one who came humbly. He was one who came to serve, to pay the ultimate uh, sacrifice with his own life on the cross. And and this was God's plan as, as he entered Jerusalem that day. And and I think it's it, it's quite striking when we when we read that account of him entering the city. Um, where it says, Son, that the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And for the past 2,000 years, you, you've seen the same thing happen all over the world, uh, wherever the gospel goes forth, you know, um, and people first start to hear about Jesus. You know, that's a very common uh, thing for people to wonder, well, who is this? You know, who is this Jesus that you're, you're talking about? I mean, my, my ancestors, we, we have our own uh, religion. We have our own gods we worship. You know, who is this Jesus? And so Jesus has had a way of people uh, of stirring people up um, be, because he said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword, not meaning that his followers would go out and, and defeat others, um, you know, with the sword, the way in the Old Testament, God's people were commanded to, um, to destroy the enemies of God. But, but rather what Jesus meant is that um, in one household, you'd have, you know, one person in some cases who accepts Christ and maybe the rest of the family doesn't. And, and so it causes a real friction there. But, but everybody has to decide what they're going to do about Jesus. And, 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 and some will stand with him. Uh, others will say, no, that's not going to be my path. And so where you have families, let's say, that are divided over this issue, um, there definitely is a, is, is a sword there in a way. Um, and Jesus said, that's what I've come to do. You know, basically, I've come to, to put a sword through anything that will keep you from me um, and, 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 and knowing my love and, and following me, even if your own family, you know, even if that's your own family. And, and, and if those ties have to be cut, not by your choosing, not, not that you're going to, you know, uh, stop loving them, but, if, but, if, but they, might re they might reject you. They might reject you if you accept me. And yet Jesus said, you know, um, we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and and so that means to love Him even more than our than our uh, you know our own family. Um, so there are a lot of things to think about on Palm Sunday, uh, but I think one of the biggest ones is this, just that Jesus came uh, not to be served like like earthly kings are; they expect to be served, um, but but He came to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. And now in His eternal kingdom in heaven, He'll be worshipped forever by by all of us who who know Him and follow Him and and our believers and our disciples. Uh, but when he was here, son, he, he certainly um, ran into a lot of opposition, as we know, from the religious leaders of, of his day 
because uh, they certainly didn't think he was he was a king. They certainly didn't think he was the Messiah, at least most of them. And and they hated the fact that, that he claimed to be God and claimed to be able to forgive sins, and they considered it blasphemy until they sought to kill him. And, of course, that was, was part of God's plan, as we know, and, and they, they, they did. They, they succeeded in, in killing him, but they couldn't keep him down. And so a week from Sunday, we'll celebrate that uh, on the third day he rose from the dead. So uh, just the most magnificent story and events in the history of the world. You know, Dan, it doesn't surprise me that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem on a lowly animal such as a donkey because that was his whole ministry. His whole ministry was uh, a ministry based on humility. You think about the fact that he was, you know, washing people's feet and he was, you know, preaching that humility, you know, serving others, you know, putting others first. When people came and accused others, like the uh, woman who they accused of adultery, you know, he had a compassionate way about it. He wasn't an authoritarian from the from the outward perspective as far as, you know, yelling and screaming and doing all that. But he had this just control, this humility, this understanding of people, and he would just present the message to them, whatever he had to say, and then they would take and go accordingly. Or even when he, you know, healed the the blind, he's like, you know, don't speak of this to anybody. Don't say anything. So like the actions that he took was that of humility and him riding on a donkey into Jerusalem, unlike the kings and the horses and the entourage, you know, it was basically him doing what he had been doing through his whole ministry. And that was being humble as the leader, as the King, he, he humbled himself. And I thought that's, uh, you know, something that we kind of sometimes overlook. We, maybe we take for granted the fact that he did that, you know, and that, mm-hmm. and that he wasn't adorned in the robes and the, the expense of jewels right. and cloth and that it was just people throwing, you know, the, the palm leaves down and maybe taking whatever they had on and, and throwing that down. And so, you know, it was, it was really a, uh, if we could see it today, it would really be mm-hmm. something significant, I think, and something that would really, like you said, create a buzz. Who's this guy riding in on a donkey? Right. And all these people are throwing palm leaves down as a way to recognize that he is somebody significant. He is somebody that is of importance, but it's not, you know, the expensive red carpet, you know, the yellow brick road or whatever you want to put right. in there that he was riding on. Right. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing. Well, yes, it is. It's a very amazing son. And, and, you know, no one has ever entered a city. Um, no one has ever entered in, into a place like this with more love for the people. Than, than Jesus had. Um, you know, God is love. And, and, and God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And, and, and so uh, the Messiah rode in on a donkey, um, and he was the king of kings, and he remains the king of kings and, and, and lord of lords. And, you know, it's interesting, Sam, because sometimes, uh, you know, we, we can, we can kind of draw a contrast with, with things when we see extremes. Like, for example, here in Nebraska, we had some extremely cold days this past winter. Um, some records were broken. I mean, there were some, we were hitting, and not just us, of course, other states too, but, but we were hitting some temps in the, you know, like negative 20 some, and then the wind chill, uh, maybe even into the negative 30s and so forth. I mean, not, you know, not fortunately too many days like that, but we had a number of days. And so, you know, this summer now, if we hit some 100 degree days, you say, boy, that's a huge contrast. Um, you know, uh, think about maybe the brightest light you've ever you've ever looked into, and then and then think about you know just the darkest 
um, experience you've ever had. You just couldn't even see your hand in front of your own face. So, so we see extremes like this. And, and there's one little thing I'd love to read here, Son, that kind of gives uh, a contrast to Jesus on Palm Sunday. Um, it was a different kind of entrance. And, and it wasn't with someone filled with pure love, but it was someone filled with, with pure hate. And you know, Son, if we look back at the 1936 Olympics, um, there's a very amazing sequence of events that really is quite a contrast to uh, to what Jesus did 2,000 years ago on Palm Sunday. And so I'd like to just read something here that I think really fits this this huge extreme contrast. And and uh, the author here, author here says that it was a humid August day. Uh, hundreds of thousands of spectators, police officers, and soldiers gathered from six continents in 49 countries uh, with, with most guests, uh, most of them being guests, especially the athletes uh, wearing their own clothing with their own home flag represented. Um, and they were waving their flag for the crowd to see. But the most obvious flag that day was by far the swastika. It was draped anywhere and everywhere there was room. Uh, and of course, this was the 1936 Olympics hosted in Berlin. Uh, the main attraction that day was not the athletes who would compete for the medals, but the one who would preside over them, Adolf Hitler. At 3.18 p.m., Adolf Hitler left the chancellery in central Berlin, standing upright in his Mercedes limousine, his right arm lifted in the Nazi salute. Tens of thousands of Hitler youth, stormtroopers, and helmeted military guards stood along his path to the the stadium. Hundreds of thousands of ordinary German citizens had massed along the way, leaning from windows and waving flags or standing 12 or more deep along the street, again using periscopes to get a glimpse of Hitler. Now, as his limousine passed, they extended their right arms in the Nazi salute, their faces uh, upturned, uh, ecstatic, screaming in pulsing waves as he rode by, Heil, Heil, Heil. Uh, At the Mayfield, where the U.S. Olympic team members stood, uh, the athletes began to hear the distant sound of crowds cheering, the noise slowly swelling and growing nearer, then loudspeakers blaring, He is coming! He is coming! He is coming! He is coming! And, and, And so that that historic day in the Olympics with this man of hate, this man who was under the influence of, of, of demons, obviously just possessed by who knows how many demons, um, riding in there, uh, apparently to crowds of people who uh, had yet to, uh, I guess, understand the, the, the full extent of his hatred, uh, as he had so deceived, uh, his own country and, and, and really the world. Uh, but, but there he was people shouting, he's coming, he's coming, uh, there in his Mercedes standing there. And you contrast that side to Jesus on Palm Sunday, not standing on a Mercedes or, or even the, you know, the ancient equivalent to that, the chariot, he didn't come in on a chariot. Um, he came in on a donkey. And, and of course we know that, you know, Hitler rose then in satanic power to slaughter the Jews, 6 million Jews. And here Jesus, on the, in contrast to that, humbled himself to be slaughtered himself for the Jews and for the Gentiles. You know, the Bible says the gospel is first for the Jew and then for the Gentiles. And, and, and so what a contrast there between, between Hitler and Christ, um, one extreme to the other, and um, one filled with satanic hate, um, and, uh, especially for Jewish people, and, and the other filled with just, just pure love. And uh, one came humbly, the other came proudly, and, um, you know, there's probably never been a bigger contrast, hardly. I mean, Satan himself, I guess, would be the only other example, but, but Hitler sure seemed to have, you know, plenty of demons, uh, you know, operating within him. And, uh, boy, we needed Jesus. And 
Uh, we need him more than ever because there still is hate in this world and from many corners of the world. And, and um, you know, you would think, Son, that people would recognize, you know, Satan's um, ability to, to control people um, because there's really no other explanation for how Hitler could have accomplished what he did other than through, you know, Satan's uh, assistance and, and just Satan's hatred. I think there's a lot of correlations if we look at Hitler and look at ourselves as we walk the Christian walk, because a lot of times we put the emphasis on us. You know, we like to think we like to think we did things. We did this. We led someone to Jesus. We uh, created a church to be a mega church. We, 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 I, I, I. And in fact, it's God just using us. And so I think the analogy can also be taken today as self-reflection. Are we the ones that are going to sit there and realize that Jesus is the one, that God is the one that is using us? Or are we the ones that want the accolades? Because I believe, you know, I'm not, I forget off the top of my head scripture and verse, but, you know, when you lay up your treasures in heaven versus laying up your treasures on earth, you know, that's what we're going to get. If we lay up our treasures on earth, that's all we're going to receive. And then those are the treasures that moth and dust and rust corrupt and thieves break in and steal. But if we put our treasures in heaven, so I guess there's, you know, some correlation there that we can do some self-reflection. You know, are we going to be humble in our approach, in our walk, in, in the work God calls us to do? Or are we going to be the one that wants the glory and the gratification now and be Hitler-esque in the praise that we want to reap from the people that are looking at us? You know, son, I've got a great quote here in a moment that will really tie in beautifully with what you just said. And it has to do with that famous Christian, uh, Corey Tenboom, who was a Dutch Christian watchmaker and, and later a writer. She worked with her father and her sister and, and other family members to help many Jews escape from the Nazis during the Holocaust and World War II. And, and they hid them in their home. Uh, and, and of course, she, she believed her actions were following the will of God. And we can understand why. Uh, and yet um, they were caught uh, doing that. And Corey was arrested. Uh, she was sent to the uh, Ravensbrück concentration camp. And, and then, you know, her, her famous book, The Hiding Place, is, is a biography that recounts, you know, that story of her family's efforts and, and how she found and shared hope in God while she was imprisoned at the concentration camp. Uh, there was even a, a film, a 1975 film called The Hiding Place, where, where Corey recounts her family, her and her family's experiences there uh, before and during their imprisonment. Um, but well, here's a quote though from Corey Tenboom that ties in with what you just were, were the point, great point you were making, Son. Um, Corey was was once asked, uh, you know, if, if it was difficult for her to remain humble uh, after the way God had, had used her and told her story around the world. And Corey just said, in her just just pure Christ-like humility, you know, she said this. She said, "When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on the back of a donkey." And everyone was waving palm branches and throwing garments onto the road and singing praises. Do you think that for one moment it ever entered the head of that donkey that any of that was for him? She continued, if I can be the donkey on which Jesus Christ rides in his glory, I give him all the praise and all the honor. And, and what a beautiful, beautiful comment. From this godly woman that we'll get to meet in heaven one day, Corey Ten Boom. Um, but boy, son, um, you know I, I've, I've talked over the years about just the privilege we have as Christians to be like the like the uh, the nozzle on the end of the hose, and the living water of the Holy Spirit will flow through the Word of God and flow through um, the gospel, mainly the gospel. Um, but also, God will use us. Well, we're like the nozzle. And, and you know, if a nozzle is sitting over in the yard, you know, not even attached to the hose, or maybe it is attached. 
nobody thinks twice about the nozzle. You just want that water for your garden or your lawn or whatever you're doing. Um, but, but so the nozzle is an analogy, but, but Corey points to the donkey and that's a, an even better analogy. I think, um, if we can see ourselves that way and any accolades that come in, any praise that comes in, I mean, think about the apostles who were performing miracles. These apostles were, were gifted and anointed to perform miracles. And some people wanted to bow down and worship them. You know, um, we gotta be careful that whatever God does through us, just as you said so well, son, um, that it not go to our head. And so Corey's, Corey's message there for us is just think of yourself as a donkey, you know, and, and be humble and realize that that applause is not for you. You know, it, 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 at least you shouldn't be, you know, I mean, it, it, if the applause is, think about it, if the applause is for the messenger rather than Christ himself, then maybe they're not really getting the message very clearly. Um, and, uh, you know, and, that, and that's why son, um, you know, as a pastor now for about 31 years, you know, um, when you first start out, you know, at least for me, you know, when you first start out preaching, you know, you, you, you really kind of hope that there'll be some people say, oh, you know, that was a great message, Pastor, and this and that. And, you know, because you kind of feel like, well, boy, I, mean, I hope this blesses people. But, but, you know, after you've done it for a while, at least for me, um, I, I, didn't, I didn't really uh, look for those kinds of comments or hope that they would come in. What, 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 said, more, what said more to me over the years, son, is, is if somebody would make me, maybe make the comment, you know, God was really speaking to me through that message. You know, if people's eyes will be on God, and, and not on the messenger because, you know, oh, you know, he's a great speaker or he's this or he's that. It's like, wait a minute. You know, if that's all you're seeing, then maybe you're not really doing business with God today. Maybe you're not really being touched at that level that God wants to touch you. If all you're seeing is, is, is this person here, this pastor, this speaker, whatever. And that's what Corey Tenboom saw was like uh, with the book, you know, her autobiography, uh, the, the film, The Hiding Place. Um, Corey didn't want it to be about her. Uh, you know, and, and just like just like John said, he must become greater. I must become less. Um, that is a great uh, a great way for us to live, and um, and so it really fits the, the, the comment you made a moment ago, Son. And and boy, for Corey to have that quote uh, about Palm Sunday, I mean, that kind of ties everything together that we're talking about here on on this day as we're getting close to Palm Sunday here um, uh, real soon. Yeah, it's amazing to think that somebody that went through so much and did so much and suffered so much is able to have that thought, that clarity of thought to realize her place. Because if you think about it, nobody has done anything greater. If you wanted to, you know, we always talk about works, right? Works doesn't mean anything to us as far as our entrance into heaven. You know, it's the gift of God, not as a result of work. So no man can boast. But if anybody wants to be boastful, it could be someone like Corey Tamboom who suffered so much to protect the Jewish people, God's chosen people, and yet she has that, right. that mentality, that thought that I'm just a lowly animal, I'm just a lonely donkey carrying the Savior's message yeah. to the people. And if yeah. people look at me like that, then glory can go to God and glory can go to Jesus, and that's the important thing. And so it really is kind of sobering, so to speak, to, to mm-hmm. take a look at somebody who could boast great things but yet humbled herself in the side of the Lord and said, glory be to him and not me. And that's just something that I think that we should be able to take and learn from because it's just extraordinary. And if people aren't familiar with her story, because I know a lot of times as we move on in history, as the days and the months and the calendars flip, you know, we start to lose some of our connection with some of those stories and some of those people that did great things. She would be a great yeah. one for anybody to to research and to watch her story and to read her book yeah. or just to find out more about because the significance, if you know her and you know her story, the significance of that saying that she wrote is even more impactful because yes. you know the story. That's right. 
That's exactly right, Son. And, you know, it's hard to fathom how two people, um, both who were created in the image of God with a body, soul, and spirit, how two people could go to such polar opposites in, in their life story. On one end, you got Corey Ten Boom. On the other end, you got Adolf Hitler. Um, and, and, you know, um, just as God and Satan are, are opposites um, in terms of good and evil, not, not in terms of their power, they're not opposites. I mean, Satan does not have an equal power to God. Satan, after all, is a created being. Uh, he's a fallen angel. So, um, you know, he, he, he is not on par with God, but, but he would be uh, the best example of, of just the antithesis to who God is. Um, that would be Satan with all of his evil and hatred. Um, and, and so you've got God on, on the side of goodness and light and love. You've got Satan on the side of, of, of just hatred and, and killing and, and brutalizing people and, and hurting people and wanting people to come to hell. God wants people to come to heaven. You know, if God and, and Satan were, were involved in, in one of those things, some many of us have been involved in growing up where you're, you're maybe going to play a little pickup game of basketball or whatever. Maybe you're doing something at school and they're picking teams. I mean, you know, who could God pick for his team that would be a better humble servant than Corey Ten Boom? And, and you know, Satan, you know, his first choice would, would probably be Adolf Hitler. I mean, this is what Satan looks for. He looks for people that he can fill with hate. But it's just so amazing that two human beings, both created in the image of God, can 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 have such an impact upon the world, one uh, with so much good, uh, the other with so much evil, and, and how their lives intersect, you know, and, and how, you know, I think about when Joseph's brothers, you know, sold him into uh, into slavery, and then eventually when God raised him up to a prominent position and then and brought them before him, and, and he was able to not only forgive them, but to say to them, you know, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. Um, you know, what Satan intended for evil, you know, um, the Bible says do not be, um, you know, overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I mean, if anybody did that, it was Corey Ten Boom and her family. And, and so their lives intersect, um, just as Satan and, and, and Jesus's life intersected. You know, uh, Satan came uh, to try to tempt Jesus there in the wilderness. Uh, Satan opposed Jesus every turn, but he couldn't get Jesus to sin. He never sinned one time. He couldn't get Jesus to um, to turn away from the mission. And and Hitler could not get Corrie Ten Boom or her family to submit to him. And there were some other, you know, heroes uh, there in Germany as well who were opposing uh, Hitler and so forth. Um, but but Corrie Ten Boom and her family, um, they are heroes of the faith. And, you know, like you said, Son, if anybody wants to just read about uh, a living, I mean, of course, like a living epistle, you know, uh, there's nothing like the Bible. There's nothing like, you know, reading, let's say, one of Paul's epistles. But in terms of a human life, if you want to read, uh, you know, if you want to read a, a, an epistle in terms of a person's life, read about Corey Ten Boom, and, and you'll see what God can do in a life. Just as all you have to do to see what Satan can do is, is to look at Hitler's life. And, and, and so we live in a society, Son, where, you know, people are pushing, they, they want this plurality, you know, every religion to be accepted equally. Well, what people need to realize is this. I mean, well, yes, we, we, we need to, you know, accept everybody regardless of their religion. Um, we need to, you know, um, we, we live in a pluralistic society. This is not a theocracy where, where America is trying to force people to, um, you know, to become Christians. I mean, there is, there is the state and there is the church. And the church is higher than the state. Um, and, but we're not to force, um, we're not to force, 
people to uh, to become Christian. We are to obey the laws of the land unless they contradict God's law. Uh, but but we, we, we live at a time where, um, you know, if people stop and think about, you know, all religions are equal, well, Satanism is a religion. So what people need to realize is I wonder who, who, who came up with that idea that all religions are equal. Um, would it have been God or would it have been Satan? Would it have been the one who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Or would it have been the one the Bible refers to as the father of lies? And, and uh, so the fact that, that, you know, Hitler dabbled in the occult, um, that that is would, would be expected. That, that, that Hitler would have dabbled in things that would have invited even more demons to to possess him, to control him. Um, he was no doubt under the control of Satan. Corey Tenboom was under the control of the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ. And every single person sign gets to choose. Ultimately, that's that's the choice. It's either Jesus or Satan. And if you want to look at it in an even more just earthly level, it's Corey Ten Boom or Hitler, and you have to make your choice. And even though you may see some of Hitler in you, now when you when you see the wretchedness of your own sin, um, you have to choose who you're going to side with. Um, is it the God of Corey Ten Boom or the God of Adolf Hitler? And and so um, those extremes, just like hot and cold here in Nebraska, you know, just like light and darkness. Um, God is perfectly good. Satan is pure evil, and every human being must decide which one of those two they want to go with. You know, Dan, the other thing that comes to mind, too, is that when it comes along, this humility aspect is, you know, Hitler wanted to be the supreme ruler. He wanted all this stuff. So he sought it out. Jesus, yeah. let's start with him. He even said, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. So he didn't even really yeah. want to go through this. If people, you know, I want to be careful with the theology of it. Because, you know, Jesus didn't say, I am going to die for your sins, and you are all going to worship me, and now praise me. That wasn't his approach. His approach was like, hey, he was perfect, he was humble, he did it specifically to save us, and it was him doing it for us. It wasn't him doing it for himself, because he wanted the cup to pass if it's possible. So it wasn't like him doing it for himself. He was solely doing it to save us and making the ultimate sacrifice. So I want to make that clear so people don't uh, misunderstand. Corey Ten Boom did not ask for that to happen to her. She was, I don't know if you want to say called to that, but that was her life. You know, that was what she did. She took on that. She saw the wrong that was happening and she acted and she acted in a way that she thought was the best way. So she was used by God, but she did not seek it out. And it's evident in that comment, you know, the humility that she's there. And I think that's the thing that we kind of often miss too, is that, you know, if we're out there seeking, you know, we might be called to be uh, ministry in the ministry and we might be excited and we might want to push it forward. I mean, I think about, you know, what we do with our conversations on the podcast, you know, there's times where it's like, I'm Hitler. I'm like, yes, this is a great podcast. I can't wait to get it out there. Millions of people are going to listen. It's going to be fabulous. We're going to be praised. Then there's other times where I'm like Corey Tamboom and I'm like, Oh man, that was, I just hope the one person that needed to hear it at that one time, Here's Amen. it, and that's it. So, you know, for me, if yeah. I'm honest, I'm both at times. So I'm, I'm times I'm a Hitler yeah. wanting the praise. Other times I'm yeah. like, but, but yeah. the drive behind it for me personally yeah. is, is you know, yeah. just get the word out there. You know, this is a means Amen. by which I can do something that my talents and abilities allow me to do and that's just right. get it out there. And so I think we have to be careful with our motivation, what we want. Sure, we're human. Sure, we're frail as far as the, uh, the, the, the fall of man. 
And we do like mm-hmm. the accolades. We do like the praises. We do like some of those things. But we also have to be careful that's not our motivation. Because I'm sure, you know, I've heard pastors, you know, oftentimes get up there and preach great messages. And they get amped up and they're excited and it motivates them to do more. So that's, that's good. Yeah. But we have to make yeah. sure it's not our motivation that we seek the praise. Because ultimately, you know, we are, like she said, we are just the donkey. We are just the, 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 yeah. the, the, the messenger. We're just the one that God is using. And so I think that that's is right. something that's just tremendous is that, you know, what's the motivation behind what we do? What's the motivation behind the things that we go through? What's the motivation? Because we can be, you know, we've talked in the past about those subtleties. You know, Satan is a subtle, you know, they, the Bible talks about a lion, you know, going around seeking whom he may devour, like the, you know, the beast right. going around seeking whom he may devour. So obviously he's right. potent and he is um, a tremendous a formidable foe, but he's also very subtle. Like in the garden, he's like, Hey, you could be like God too. Hey, why can't you do that? You know, he's like some slick guy that we have to be careful and he can slip those things, those thoughts into us. And we have to be careful that it doesn't then become our motivation that we have the wrong motivation behind the things that we do. And so that's another reason why I think when we have these, uh, Religious holidays, for example, like Palm Sunday, Easter, even Christmas and some others along the way, you know, it's a, it's a chance to reflect on what it is that we are doing as a follower of Christ. What is it that we are called to do? How are we doing what God has called us to do? Are we doing it to the fullest of our ability? Are we looking for the accolades here? You know, are we being humble like Christ was when he, when Jesus was walking through or uh, going through uh, Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, you know, on the cross, you know, are we doing it for his glory or are we doing it for our glory? And if we remember again, Christ on the cross, he didn't do it for himself. He did it for us. You know, son, I think of, of, of those, both of those uh, excellent points you just made. I think uh, of, Philippians chapter 2 that addresses both of those, uh, where Paul writes, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then he writes, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So just as you said, Son, I mean, our attitude is, is to be one of humility, not selfish ambition, not look at me, not, not you know, applaud for me, but, but, you know, anything we can do to have the applause go for Jesus, to have people believe in Jesus as their Savior. And then, and then it talks about there, just as you were addressing, how, how you know, Christ was here. Um, he came as a suffering servant. He came here um, because his Father had sent him here for this purpose. And he became obedient. Obedient to who? Obedient to his father. Um, obedient to the father's will. And Jesus humbled himself. And, and he became obedient uh, to death, even to death, you know, death on a cross. So, so um, what a contrast between um, Christ and his perfect life and, and, and Satan and his evil and his hatred. Um, you know, the contrast between Corey Ten Boom and Adolf Hitler. But as you have said here today, son, in this podcast, um, we, we at times, we, we find uh, some of both of those things inside of us, you know, um, when, when selfishness wells up within us or when we're, when we're seeking uh, our own, we, when we want the spotlight 
to, to shine on us or when we just want to get our way. I mean, we could give hundreds of examples of, you know, um, just, just sinful desires or ambitious desires or whatever they might be. So, so in that sense, we've got that that we're battling. Um, our greatest enemy is within us in our, in the basement room of our soul. It's called the sinful nature. And yet God has set us free. Uh, as Romans describes, you know, you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, meaning that now we can choose, um, you know, the, the path that Corey Ten Boom and her family chose. We can choose the path of obedience. We can choose the path of holiness. And, and we can choose the path of, of loving God and, and loving others. Uh, but we do see that conflict going on. We will, as long as we're in these bodies. Um, it won't be until we get to heaven that we won't experience, you know, temptation or sinful desires. I mean, think about that. But right now, within our bodies, within our soul, you know, we all, as, as believers, we continue to experience various sinful desires, various sinful thoughts. Um, and whenever we, would get, whenever we give in to any of those, then we're, we're giving in to sin. But when we get to heaven... We won't have any of those desires. We won't uh, sinful desires. We won't have any of those. Uh, there won't be any temptation. Uh, we'll be free from that, and and we'll be perfect uh, when we get there. And and so that's what's coming. That that it won't be long. And and all of us who know the Lord will be there. Uh, you know, in the blink of an eye, really, uh, we're going to wake up and find ourselves in heaven. Why? Because Christ is our Savior. Because His blood was shed for our sin. Because we're trusting in His death and not our works. That's how we were brought into the family. That's how we became Christian. Um, not by earning it, because you can't. Not by religious deeds, but through faith in this one who rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, who never sinned even one time, who was betrayed um, there by, by Judas. And on that night when he was betrayed, um, he took bread and he broke it with his disciples. They celebrated the Passover. Um, and then uh, it was getting close to his, his uh, arrest. And, and then his um, horrible flogging and crucifixion um, where he suffered and, and paid for our sins, suffered immensely more than we will, will ever know, um, and then on the third day rose from the dead. So the greatest story, the greatest person of all time, um, you and I have the privilege to share him. And, and I like what you said, Son, about just why God has led you to do this podcast, because it, it might be for one person. It might be for these few people over here, whoever it is, whoever we're called to reach, whoever we're privileged to reach, um, we get to be that donkey. And, and that's, you know, uh, this podcast is a way to be that donkey. Um, any man or woman who's serving Jesus, um, you know, gets to be that donkey in, in their own sphere, in their own, using their own gifts. Um, and, and every gift is, is important. Uh, you don't have to be like some full-time church worker or something. Um, you know, uh, you may you, you may just serve the Lord in, in, in some career uh, that, um, you know, where you never, uh, you know, end up, you know, working, let's say, for, you know, in a church or something uh, as far as an employee in the church, but you are serving God with your gifts, and that's just as important. We need, we need just, well, we need far more people like that. Uh, than, than those who are maybe, you know, uh, pastors and so forth, because that's a small percentage of, uh, of the people God is using in his kingdom, like Corey Ten Boom, who uh, never had an official title, you know, but boy, did God use her. And so um, it's exciting. Now, as we get close to Palm Sunday, just to, just to ask the Lord to use us and, and, then to, and then just to thank him when he does. You know, Dan, you wrote in an article about, God requires perfection, and since we're never, you know, we're not perfect, uh, God made a way for us to be perfect in his eyes, and that's our spiritual conversion. And then you go on to write about uh, Moses, you know, when at the burning bush, 
you know, God speaks to Moses, says, don't come any closer, Uh take off your sandals for the place you're standing is holy ground. And there's a significance there because it's like when the sandals come off and we're standing on holy ground, it's almost like the soul is converted, as you write. The sandals are removed. That's still our sinful nature, but we're no longer under the control and the power of sin. Because we're yeah. standing on holy ground. Now we put the sandals back on, and now we're going to, um, you know, be sinful because we are sinful. You know, the Bible talks about yeah. it. We're going to sin, you know. Yeah. Um, but when you look at Holy Week, you mentioned, you know, Judas. The two two people that really come to mind outside of Jesus is Judas yeah. and Peter. You know, both yeah. basically betrayed Jesus. When you think mm-hmm. about it, you know, Judas betrayed Jesus for money and then ultimately, right. you know, took his own life. Peter... Yeah. First stands up and lops off the ear of, of uh, one of the guys that comes, one of the servants, and then denies Jesus three times. But the yeah. difference, I think, is in the reaction to that, where then Jesus, yeah. you know, allows Peter an opportunity, and Peter then, you know, comes clean and basically recognizes who Jesus is. And so yeah. I like that analogy with the sandals because that's going to be us. You know, we're going to sit there Mm -hmm. and we're going to go through life and we're going to deny Jesus, whether it's through our actions, whether it's through, you know, it's basically through our sin. You know, we're going to deny who he is. And yet we're not under that power because we have the opportunity to repent of that and to realize that Jesus is God and that he gave us a way to be perfect, that Jesus is the way for us to be perfect in the sight of God. And that even though we might have, sinful nature. We might commit sinful acts. We might do things that are sinful that separate us from God, kind of like the sandals. We're not empowered by that. We can still control where we walk and we can still walk toward the cross and we're not under the power of of a sinful nature anymore. And so I think when you look at those two, you know, who are we going to be? Are we going to be someone that's going to be like Judas and just betray Jesus and that's it? Yeah. Or are we yeah. going to be, you know, someone like Peter who is going to betray Jesus at times, but yet yeah. going to be used by God, used by Jesus to do many great things, and then also be a person that recognizes our shortcomings, recognizes yeah. our shortfalls, and realize that, you know what, I, I did wrong, but in spite of my wrongness, I still know that you are the king. Yeah, I think that's a terrific contrast there, Son, that, that you just shared, uh, that spirit-led thought that that you brought into our discussion today, because we're already contrasting Jesus with Satan and Corey Ten Boom with Hitler. But but what a perfect contrast there, especially, you know, during Holy Week uh, between Peter and Judas. And what I think about is what we see in their two lives is the difference between um, what happens when a believer sins uh, versus an unbeliever. Um, I mean, Judas, there, there's no hint whatsoever that that his heart was right with God, you know, before he betrayed the Lord. I mean, um, now, was he at some point in his life, you know, uh, at a a better place? I mean, that would be up to the Lord to say, but there's there's no question that that he did what he did as, as, I mean, he did it willfully. Um, he, He did it as someone who was not looking to Jesus as the Messiah. Peter, on the other hand, um, he, he denied the Lord three times, but he was a genuine, authentic follower of Christ. He, he believed in the Lord. He wanted to do the Lord's will. And like all of us, um, he ended up um, going against really his, 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 his conscience and, and what was right, as, as we've all done at times when we have um, you know, given into sin. But what we see there is when a believer falls into sin, um, he or she is, is not content. Um, to to leave it there, but but rather 
um, they 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 seek the Lord's forgiveness the way David, you know, King David did after he, um, you know, just walked into sin there, the sin of adultery with Bathsheba and then murder of her husband. Um, and 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 Judas, on the other hand, were given no indication that his his remorse um, had any sort of uh, godly sorrow in it. It was just all uh, it seemed to be anyway. Just just human human remorse and you know there, there's a there's a powerful passage son that, that that deals with um that deals with godly sorrow and and it deals with repentance it's in second corinthians and, and paul is writing there to the folks uh in corinth and he says um even if i caused you sorrow by my letter i do not regret it though i did regret it i see that my letter hurt you but only for a little while yet now i am happy not because you were made sorry but because your sorrow led you to repentance for you became sorrowful as God intended, and so we're not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. And, and Judas had worldly sorrow, and, and you know, uh, his life ended. Uh, Peter, on the other hand, went on to, to serve the Lord as an apostle. He died a martyr's death, um, but, but he went way beyond that, that, that episode where he had denied the Lord because he was a believer in the Lord. Um, and then the, the last verse that I'll read though in uh, Corinthians here, Paul says, see what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, and Peter had that, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, you know, he was, he was indignant at his sin, you know, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. So the believer in Christ um, is miserable when he or she is living in sin. Now, Judas's misery was of a different sort. Judas's misery was, was because he had sold his soul to money, but he didn't seem to have, you know, the, the wherewithal or the capacity or the willingness to, um, you know, call upon the, the, the mercy of God after what he had done. And, um, and, and, and Peter, on the other hand, um, knew that, just like King David, that, you know, I can call upon the Lord, I can seek his forgiveness, because when you have a relationship with the Lord, you know that he'll forgive you. I mean, what, what, what could be more tragic, son, than an individual like a Judas, who, who commits some horrible sin, um, and sometimes you hear about this, you know, you even hear about maybe somebody who's committed a, committed a sin, and the police are at their door, and then what do you hear? You hear that maybe they take their life, you know, on the other side of the door when the police have come to arrest them or whatever. Um, what could be a more pitiful situation than that? And, and Judas was in just a, a terrible place after what he had done. But, but, you know, what people need to realize, Son, is as long as they have breath, you know, don't ever, um, don't ever think that you can't come to God. Don't ever think that, you know, uh, like suicide would be the answer or, or that your sin can't be forgiven or that God can't, can't help to meet you where you're at and one day bring you to paradise. But, but Satan works to get people so depressed, so discouraged um, after their sin um, that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's Satan. And so he is the author of, of, of suicide. Um, he is the author of wanting to destroy people. And Jesus is the author of hope. And, and boy, in the case of Judas, we see a hopeless man who, who saw no hope in the gospel. And in Peter, we see a man who's flawed like all of us, but knew that especially after the resurrection, you know, he knew that his Redeemer lived. He knew that Christ was alive. He knew that there was a much, much bigger thing going on here than, than, than his 
um, his denials as, you know, as bad as those were, a much bigger thing's happening here. Uh, my, my Savior, the Messiah, has just died and risen from the dead. We need to tell the world about this. I need to get over, you know, I need to get over what I did. You know, sometimes people have to get over what they've done, fine, and not make a bigger deal of it than, than maybe is necessary because God, God's not trying to just focus you on your past or where, where you blew it. He's trying to move you on to help reach other people. And, and Peter, by God's grace, was able to do that. Um, Judas went on to help no one because he died a hopeless death. Peter, when he was martyred, and, and tradition tells us, you know, uh, that Peter was crucified. And, and that when he was crucified, he, he, he told uh, those uh, who were about to do that to him that he didn't deserve to be uh, crucified, you know, straight, you know, uh, straight way up. And he wanted to be crucified upside down because he wasn't worthy to be crucified the same way his Lord was. So, I mean, Peter went on uh, to live uh, a remarkable life after uh, the Lord's death and resurrection, uh, unlike Judas. And, and every listener today, son, including us, I mean, we all get to choose from this day forward, who am I going to serve? Who is going to be my king? You know, is Jesus my king or is he a criminal? You know, is Jesus my king or is he a criminal? Um, you know, as C.S. Lewis said, um, you know, he was either a liar uh, he was either lunatic or he was Lord of all. There is no fourth option. He never claimed to just be a, a good prophet. He claimed to be God. That's why they killed him. He claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be the Messiah. So so that's the thing going forward, son. Not any of our uh, sins or anyone who's listening today, not any sins that you've committed, my friend. It's about Christ. Um, go to him. Be forgiven. And then ask the Lord to use you. Be that donkey that, that brings the gospel to your family, your friends, you know, wherever God decides to use you. And, um, yeah, all for his glory, and, and there's no better way to live, no better way to die, because when we die, we get to be immediately with God, just like he told um, the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. And that's just one of the amazing things that happens, Son, on, on this week that we're approaching now with Holy Week, and especially on, on that Good Friday. And, and the last thing I'll say is there's a reason why we call it Good Friday. I mean, it, it wasn't good for Jesus. Uh, he, he, he experienced excruciating pain. Uh, it wasn't good for him, but it was good for us, for our salvation. And, and so everything in the history of the world points to that event there, his death for our sins, and then his resurrection. And, uh, and so if a person's open to getting focused on that and excited about that, son, God will do that. He'll, he'll put the Holy Spirit in them, um, and, and a person can, can get as motivated as you and I are to, to spread this message. All they have to do is, is surrender to the king. Um, submit to Jesus, say, Lord, I want you to be my Savior. I want you to be my King. I want you to be my Shepherd. I want you to be my God. Um, I want to live like Corey Ten Boom, you know, not like Adolf Hitler. Uh, I want to live like uh, like Peter in his best moments, not like Judas, you know, in, in his worst moments. So, um, so this is this is the calling. This is the invitation. And the Bible says, whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. You know, Dan, it's also. Somewhat sad and yet scary at the same time to think that Judas, who was one of the 12, you know, walked with Jesus, sat with him, listened to him, and, yeah. yet, and yet never got it because all he had to do was repent and yeah. he would have been forgiven. You know, yeah. that's, that's the thing that we don't understand. Or, I mean, that I should right. say I don't understand is that, you know, we get to the point right. where we don't think, you know, it's, it's kind of like Adam and Eve. You know, they went and hid from God. And they clothed themselves because they were ashamed of their nakedness. They're hiding from God. You know, Judas ran and probably, you know, was the same thing like Adam and Eve went to, you know, 
hide from Jesus yeah. and, and couldn't couldn't deal with the the fact that, you know, all he had to do was just repent and he would yeah. have been saved, but instead, you know, yeah. took his own life. And so I think the the lesson to be learned is, you know, even though we're in the church, even though we go to church all the time, even though we proclaim to be, you know, Christ followers, read the Bible, go through all the motions, we have to really check ourselves to know and to see if we really are following Christ or if, you know, we're not betraying Jesus per se like Judas did, but are we living a life that we're, we're in the know but not really knowing? Are we in, yeah. you know, in the walk, but not really walking? Yeah. You know, are yeah. we, are we the one that's, you know, living the life, talking the lingo, you know, Christianese and all this and, you know, singing the right. songs and, and doing all the good things and reading all the people that we're supposed to be reading and, you know, following the right people on Twitter, but yet we're not following Jesus. Um, you know, so I think it's another you know lesson to be learned that we also need to be aware that someone like Judas, who was around Jesus all the time, still yeah. did not get the message and still lost out on what we perceive would be eternity in heaven. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's another yeah. sad, sad tale of that week. Yes. Oh, I tell you, so many, um, so many stories out of that week, son. And and as you were sharing there, it made me think of that that uh, Bible verse in Proverbs four twenty three. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And 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 so, if we are in the company of believers, the way Judas was. Um, and, and yet we're just going through the motions or our heart's not in it. Judas's heart wasn't in it, son. And, and so he wasn't legit. Of course, the Lord knew this. Um, the Lord knew this about his heart. Uh, but, but, um, those were Judas's choices. And, and, and so, um, even if a believer finds that his or her heart has become entangled in sin, there is a way to get a new heart. I mean, just as David prayed, create in me a clean heart, O God. Uh, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So, so you know, any of us, uh, especially as believers, Don, we can go to God and say, Lord, I, I messed up my heart again. I, I messed up my thinking. I met, you know, I, I, I gave into this sin or this pattern of thought or whatever it might have been. But Lord, um, forgive me. Um, you know, I, I, I want to turn away from that, Lord. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So I love that word create there in, in Psalm 51, because what it suggests, on is that we don't, sometimes we can get to a point, even as a Christian, where, I mean, we have no power to to get a new heart. We have no power within us. We need God to come in, and just like he created our body, we need him to come in and create within us a clean heart uh, if we've allowed it to become corrupt. Um, and, and that's what happened to Peter, of course, when he denied the Lord three times. He allowed corruption into his heart. That That, that was the kind of heart that Judas was obviously living with, you know, uh, 24-7, it seems. Um, and, and of course, the kind of heart, the dark black heart of Adolf Hitler um, that that, you know, ended up uh, with the atrocities of the Holocaust. So, um, you know, it, it's a day, you know, it's interesting timing with all the changes over the last year now with with COVID and so forth, uh, all of the uncertainties that, that people have experienced. I mean, here we come again now up to Palm Sunday, Holy Week and Easter. I mean. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, times change. Societies change. We've certainly seen many changes in America in, in recent decades. Um, values change in societies. But you know what doesn't change? God's Word, um, the story of the Bible, the story of Jesus. Um, that, that's one of the great things about this rolling around every year at this time is that, is that we get to just we get to be, see, you know, this is what our faith is anchored in. This is what our life is anchored in. It's not just some pie in the sky, you know, uh, mythical, you know, story. These are actual events that took place 
um, at the doing of, of, of our God, who is real, the one true God, and he did it for us. So we can hang our hat on this. We can stake our life on this. Many have. And, and I'll tell you, son, everybody who has staked their life on this, uh, even if it meant they became a martyr for the Lord, boy, they're not regretting the decision they made. Unlike, you know, folks like Hitler and Judas and, and others um, who can never now go back. They, they don't get a do-over. There are no do-overs in hell. Um, and uh, so today is the day of salvation. Today is the time for a person to get right with God because, they, you know, everybody wants to hear the Lord say to them, today you'll be with me in paradise. But um, you, you need to get right with God. You need to repent and believe the good news, my friend. And God loves you. Christ died for you. And, and come to the Lord today, and you, you'll be so glad you did. You know, Dan, one final thing I'm just curious about, as we go into Holy Week, you know, there's a lot of people that will uh, put a put a, a, an emphasis on, on Christianity. You know, they, they, like I said, a lot of people go to church on Easter. If they only go once a year, it will be Easter normally. Um, and, and a few years ago, you know, Passion of the Christ came out. So you have these movies over the years. You know, I think back to, I think, Jesus of Nazareth uh, was one that Robert Powell starred in, and he reflected Jesus, or he played Jesus, portrayed Jesus. And then you had, you know, um, that controversial film with uh, Willem Dafoe playing um, Jesus. I think it was The Last Temptation of Christ. And then, of course, The Passion of the Christ, Jim Caviezel. And, you know, I've never really watched any of these uh, movies because I was always – I think I can best put it this way. When Passion of the Christ came out, shortly thereafter, I'd ask people, when I say Jesus, what's the first kind of image that comes to mind? And a lot of people started to quote like the actor, Jim Caviezel, you know, that's how they kind of relate. And so they kind of put this personal persona on who Jesus might be. And for me, that's something I never really wanted. I never really wanted these like humanistic perspectives. I think it was Ben-Hur, if I'm not mistaken, that kind of brought in elements of Jesus but Jesus was always cast as a shadow, like the shadow of Jesus was seen. We never saw who he was. We never saw his face. And I thought that was kind of interesting. So as we're watching these movies and things, um, for me, it's, it's kind of like I refrain from them because I don't want, you know, my image of Jesus and what he went through to be put in the visual that is created by man, if that makes right. sense. But, yeah, oh, absolutely fine. You know, yeah, but, it makes total sense. But what, what are your thoughts? I mean, just, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm yeah. sure it's probably neither here yeah. nor there, but what are your thoughts on, on yeah. this type of movies? And, and I know, you know, the heart of Mel Gibson was probably there in, in his creating yeah. of the movie that yeah. he had. But, yeah. again, what's, like, you know, your thoughts on people trying to recreate yeah. these things? I know we have passion plays that go on in churches all over the place. And right, I think in the right. Philippines there's right. a huge, you know, passion type yeah. play where people actually literally I think get crucified um, you yeah. know just kind of you know as we go through this and we're mindful yeah. of kind of keep the Bible and what Jesus actually did and not diminishing it through yeah. the interpretations yeah. of mankind just kind of what's your thoughts right. on that type of thing yeah you, you know son no that's a great question and and I think you know I, I tend to very much look at it the way you do I mean you know and, and I would say there have been very very few movies about Jesus where I have really wanted to necessarily watch it for that same reason that you just mentioned. Now, with The Passion of the Christ, I don't know, for some reason, um, I did not find that that portrayal of Christ um, and Jim Caviezel's role, I, I was not distracted from just more of just this, this, this faith in Christ that doesn't have any sort of visual image. Now, now having said that, um, I, I've never since the movie thought of Jesus and then had my mind go to that image but that's kind of the concern that I guess, you know, many would, would have. And, and so I think it ultimately, style would boil down to a person's personal 
decision as a Christian, you know, do, do, does he or she find that that, that that sort of experience is is a is a helpful spiritual experience of of kind of you know celebrating the Lord's life and 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 kind of reviewing it? I mean, you know, um, I mean, you know, every time we read the Bible, like you say, we uh, we we kind of just have to in our own mind picture what you know, what the scene looked like, maybe what the people looked like. But I, obviously, I don't think there's anything wrong whatsoever with approaching it the way that, that you are staying here. Because like I say, I, I tend to lean that way. Uh, but I'm sure there are people who maybe for whatever reason, they, they find that maybe something like that actually enhances their, their maybe appreciation for, you know, different events in the Bible and so forth. But, but a person would certainly want to be careful that, you know, you know, for example, that they don't just get get this one idea, this one image, let's say, and then just focus on that. And so, you know, now they know for sure what, you know, what Jesus looks like, for example, or, or something like this. I mean, I think we want to be careful of that. Um, and, and, you know, so that we're not worshiping maybe what we see in a film, but, but we're, but we are, we're focused on what the Bible says about, about the Lord and, and, and so forth. So I think it's a very valid point you make. I, at the end of the day, I think it'll kind of boil down to just an individual Christian's preference on something like that. But I do think that Christians should be aware and kind of be careful that, you know, if you are going to really, um, you know, view those things, that you understand that, um, I mean, this is just, this is just a, a, a director's idea of, of, of portraying this. And, and, and what, what we need to always go back to is the Word of God. And one day we'll get to see Jesus face to face, you know, of course, in heaven. But in the meantime, uh, we have the Word, which is really certainly far better than any um, any depiction they might do in film or whatnot. Yeah, and I was just kind of curious because I know a lot of people will go and watch some of these movies, just like during Christmas, you watch the Christmas movies and stuff. And, and so I was just kind of curious what your thoughts were because, like I said, for me, I just – you know, like to have, it's kind of like the, the theater of the mind. You know, when we read a book, we get our own inspiration onto what it is that it might have been like, who he might have uh, looked like, what he might have done in those cases. And even when he, like, goes into the temple and, you know, turns over the money changers, tables and stuff, right. you know, I, I just, I just right. kind of think, for me personally, there's something yeah, yeah. lost in translation if we look to Amen. what yeah, the, the TV or the movie is telling us, because yeah. it, cause it's just, that doesn't rep- represent what Jesus was or who he was, because yeah. I think there was some yeah. just different about him, but, uh, but I know people yeah. will, and that's fine, you know, that's not that's a, a criticism, point, yeah. but it's just something for me that I would choose rather, because I, because I did... Not that I got a lot of grief, but people kind of shocked that I never saw Passion of the Christ. I've never seen Passion of the Christ, and I don't think I ever yeah. will. And people yeah, were like, yeah. why not? It's like the great movie. It's this, this. I'm like, hey, that's I'm not condemning it. I just choose to yeah. see my Savior yeah. in my mind's eye, so to speak. Um, that's great, Bob. You know, yeah. through, through the interpretation of Scripture and yeah. what you know, the Holy Spirit gives to Absolutely, me to perceive Don. as opposed to an image. Because like I said, every time someone says Jesus, the first thing I think of, well, I'm not the first thing, but, you know, a picture of Jesus yeah. is that picture you see at the church, you know, the Jesus, the long hair, yeah. the beard. Yeah. And then, like I said, yeah. then it went to Robert Powell and Jesus of Nazareth as he, you know, right. was there. And then it kind of went William Defoe, and then it's Jim Caviezel. And then, you know, it's kind of like when you go to the church service and people, you have the band up there playing the rock songs, and you leave right. church, you know, singing the rock songs and not singing the hymns or the message. Yes, oh, exactly, you know, Don, like yeah. Kind of, yeah, it's kind of crossing well, these two worlds. Well, and what you're saying, son, is really this: if the theatrics start to become the, 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 you know, as much or more the focus than the message, it's always been about the message. I mean, when we get to heaven, like I say, we'll see Jesus face to face. But, but really, son, what what I hear you saying is, I don't want anything. 
including a theatrical performance. I don't want anything to get in the way of my love of scripture. Um, and, and I don't want to have it kind of clouded by now man's, you know, opinion of what that would have looked like. I, I prefer to just follow, because, you know, we, and after all, son, you know, the Bible says we live by faith, not by sight. So, so nowhere in the Bible, um, you know, we, we, we don't ever see, you know, like Jesus and the disciples going to the passion play or something, you know, prior to, you know, I mean, you know, it, it, we just don't see it. The, the acting, the acting part of it, you know, and, and uh, it was all real. It's all real. And um, so, you know, those portrayals in film and whatnot, uh, I mean, they're, they, they, they serve a purpose, I suppose, but I, no, I totally hear what you're saying. And, and I think that's entirely uh, um, acceptable to, to do exactly, you know, what you do with that. Well, I know we could, you know, it was a whole week, Passion Week is a whole week. I know we could probably spend hours talking about it, and I'm sure our next sure. podcast is going to cover Easter and, and you know, yeah. what the message of Easter is about, and that's really what it comes down to is, you know, the, the true message of the cross and what Jesus' yeah. sacrifice is, and that's to save us from our sins. But, um, you know, anything, yeah. anything, you know, from your perspective, you know, being a pastor and, and, and as you go into Palm Sunday, you know, it's kind of like the Super Bowl, someone said, of preaching. It's like everybody yeah. has to have the, the Super Bowl message because it's Easter, and yeah. you have to have the Super yeah. Bowl of messages yeah. as yeah. you go through Passion Week, and, and this sets the yeah. tone. But, again, if it comes back to the humility aspect, all you need yeah. is the gospel. The gospel is the Super Bowl event, and we don't need to right. pump it up with anything else because – it's all right there. But any, any other final thoughts on Palm Sunday or anything that we should kind of reflect well, on? Well, you, you, you know, I thought, I, the thought that just occurred to me is, you know, I think that when when a, a church is is having the Bible preached every Sunday and feeding and God's, you know, people are being fed the word of God, when, when, when Palm Sunday rolls around and Easter rolls around, you know, what my experience has been, you know, I guess doing this now for 31 years is just, um, then you just kind of, you, you, you roll into that with the, the same sort of excitement and, and, and energy and power of the Holy Spirit that you have really every week that you're, you're able to, to share the word of God. So, so I don't, I don't, for me personally, I don't necessarily, you know, uh, look at it as, as though, um, you know, it's something where there needs to be changes to how a message is, is presented or prepared. Um, but, but obviously it's a very unique message. I mean, there's a reason why Palm Sunday occurs, you know, one, one Sunday a year, uh, because it was a, it was a unique event. I mean, it, it was a powerful event. I mean, um, it was the beginning of, of Holy Week. So, so yeah, I, I just think, um, maybe as a reminder to people, especially as we approach Easter Sun, that, that, that spiritual growth and spiritual health require a weekly and even a daily feeding on the word of God. And, and, and while this story is so critical to the whole message, um, I, I wouldn't say it's more critical to the health of a Christian than, than just getting God's word daily. Because it, to me, it would be like, let's say you had a homeless person and they were going to go get a turkey you know, meal at the, at the homeless shelter on Thanksgiving. But I mean, that, that's going to be great and everything, but it, it's not really going to last for more than a day or so. And if you don't have meals every day, then, you know, that turkey celebration was great. It was unique. You know, it was, you know, uh, was a wonderful meal. But, but you know, you're not going to, you can't feed on that, um, you know, once you get past, you know, Thanksgiving. And, and in a similar way, um, I mean, once we roll through Palm Sunday and Easter and celebrate these great, great, uh, you know, events in the Bible and in, and in the life of Jesus, um, 
it's going to be equally important on, on the first week after Easter and the fifth week after Easter and, and the 20th week after Easter. And, and, and so, you know, sometimes people talk about like, you know, C&E folks, you know, Chris, Christmas and Easter folks, you know, showing up at Christmas and Easter um, without, without, you know, really committing yourself to um, a Bible-believing church on a weekly basis, to me it would be like the homeless person who says, well, boy, you know, I, I don't know what I'm going to really eat you know, all year long, but well, I'm going to be there for that Thanksgiving meal. And it's like, well, you know, then his life will probably reflect that in terms of his health and, and so forth. But um, so, yeah, I guess that just comes to mind. I mean, we, we don't want to get so caught up in some emotional aspect of this that we that we lose sight of the big picture, um, which is, you know, God's plan for us is to grow into spiritual maturity, not merely to, um, you know, maybe celebrate key events in the life of, of Christ and so forth, as wonderful as that is, um, you know, it's kind of like raising children. I mean, sure, you have birthday parties, you know, for, for, for your kids, but that rolls around once a year. And and the real work is done, you know, all the other time. Uh, not not party time, but but um, all the other things, the thousands of prayers that you're, you know, let's say praying over, I mean, I think about praying your ironic blessing over our kids thousands of times. Um, you know, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. I mean, that's one of many, but just a very small example uh, of things that are required day in, day out, um, week after week, year after year, if you're going to really um, have the kind of impact in, in the life of your son or daughter that you want God to have in their life. And the same is true in the life of a Christian. So, I would just encourage Christians, I mean, look forward to these days, enjoy Palm Sunday and Easter, but use it as a time to recommit um, to being that donkey for Jesus all year long. And, and that begins with, with active participation in a local church. It's always been that way since Jesus instituted the church uh, in, way back in the Old Testament as well. I mean, apart from that, living a homeless Christian life, you know, where you're not really connected um, to other Christians, I mean, you're trying to live that homeless life, um, it's not going to go very well. Um, you're going to be like that homeless person, and and um, if other priorities get in the way, and you don't, and you're not committed to that to that weekly time, um, you, you don't even know what you're missing. So, so I guess I would just, um, I guess I would just point to that and encourage folks to to realize that just like there's a blessing in a family where there are daily feedings and daily love and daily directions and daily learning and daily growth, and you know. So also being in a, in a church is so important, um, and especially in the day in which we live. Uh, find a church where great God's grace is emphasized, where people aren't judging others, aren't, aren't being judgmental. Um, I mean, find a church that's faithful to the Word of God, but also faithful to the grace of God. And there are churches out there like that, definitely. You know, And, and so uh, ask God to lead you to one of those, and, and you'll be blessed. Dan, we thank you, as always, for joining us and being a part of the conversation. And we look forward to uh, the next conversation and, and many more to come. If uh, Again, if anybody wants to find out more, where can they reach you? Where can they find you? Well, um, they could just uh, search on, uh, you know, on the Internet for a Redeemer in Papillion, P-A-P-I-L-L-I-O-N, and they could go to our Facebook page. Uh, or if somebody would like to reach out to me uh, by email, they could uh, email Dan Delzell, D-A-N-D-E-L-Z-E-L-L, at cox.net. And, um, yeah, I'd be very happy to hear from anyone. And you can uh, find me on Instagram at Edom Rocks, E-I-D-E-M-R-O-C-K-S, at Edom Rocks. And you can just uh, message me there through the direct message. And, um, and Dan, we thank you. And also for people uh, that might be hearing this, if you go to that Instagram page 
And there's a link in the bio. It's a Linktree link. You can click the link, and there will be some options coming up, and you can find the option for Sanctified Reason, and you can go back and listen to other podcasts uh, that we have done, other shows that we have done. And so that's a way to find other shows. Just go to my Instagram, at EdemRocks, E-I-D-E-M-R-O-C-K-S. Click the link in the bio. When the options come up, select Sanctified Reason, and all of our shows are right there for you to listen to. Uh, Dan, we thank so much and appreciate it. Like I said, have a great Passion Week, a great Holy Week, a Palm Sunday. I'm sure we'll be talking and, and uh, talking Easter next time we, uh, we roll around. Well, it's my pleasure, Son. Thank you so much for, uh, for just this time uh, allowing me in and uh, this podcast to, to share with you and a beautiful topic today. So, yeah, I look forward to our next visit and, and uh, the Lord's blessings to you and, and all the listeners as we, uh, as we move into this Holy Week. And for those of you listening, thanks for listening. Do tell a friend. And until next time, God bless.